Hi everyone, welcome back to another sporting blog podcast. Um, overwhelming feedback so far is that when I talk on my own, uh, it sends people to sleep. And that actually was told to me the other day that they use my podcast to go to sleep. So we've decided on that basis that I must have regular guests. And we've had some really cool guests um, the last few weeks. And we're going to continue that trend. Um, with another cool guest. Um, so today I've got with me virtually, very socially distanced, um, Nikita Buffy from Allied Esports, but I'm gonna let him do the intro actually himself. Hi Nikita, how are you doing? Hey Ali, I'm, I'm good, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, I tried not to laugh right in the middle of your intro and ruined that for you. <laughs> it's true though. So I actually got a phone call saying I, your podcasts are really quite good. Like I learned something, and you know the best bit about it is that your voice really soothing and helps me go to sleep. Um, you need to hit up one of those meditation apps and uh, you know offer them your services. Then yeah, that's that's where the money's at. Um, Trust. Well, like so, talking of money, um, there's plenty of money swishing about the esports world at the moment. Also, we're led to believe. Um, why don't you just give our listeners a brief intro into what you do uh, in esports and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, so I work for Allied Esports. Um, Allied is a global uh, property network with high-end esports venues, um, and we create esports entertainment content. Um, just to kind of give context to, to people what I mean by esports venues, they aren't, uh, you know, a couple of PCs in the, in the basement or something hidden away. We have, uh, you can imagine, if you can imagine a high-end sports bar, just like that, you know, screens around, beer, chicken wings, uh, big matches on the screen, people coming around to either just hang out, to watch some sports, talk about it. Um, except the only difference is that we also have uh, PCs and consoles so people can play in these venues. Yeah, um, so like you've got, you've got people in the venues playing and then you've got people coming in to, to watch them play. So you're, you're sort of combining two things there in terms of providing like, entertainment and also providing a venue to play the games. Exactly. And that, that's, that ranges from like local community tournaments where we might just have people, you know, if, if I'm talking about our flagship, the HyperX Esports Arena in Las Vegas, which is in the Luxor, so the pyramid, um, you know, we might have tournaments that are just for Vegas natives. Um, but then we also might host something like Riot Games All-Stars uh, League of Legends. So League of Legends is one of the biggest games in the world and Riot Games is one of the biggest events in the world. And they host an annual all-star game um, and they've come back to our, our arena twice now, uh, two years in a row. So that's been, so kind of, it scales depending on also, you know, what, what games might be happening in, in the world of esports. We might showcase tournaments. We might host our own content. Um, so it's a real variety of things, but the, the core concept is that we have these high-end venues, which are great to come play, hang out, um and you know just engage with the community yeah it's actually um it's actually very very smart and uh i think it's really clever that you guys uh teamed up with a Tino in vegas obviously there is uh, a decent amount of betting on esports um from right from the the, the top end stuff all the way down to one-on-one -on -one, uh battles which i've seen um few companies like SIS getting involved in. Um, in fact, when we saw each other at ICE, which for, for listeners who aren't aware, ICE is a really big gaming, um, as in wagering type gaming and casino conference that rolls into London once a year. And it's this sort of crazy, bizarre gambling world like showcase, but there was an awful lot of esports action uh, this time around. Um, <clears throat> and look, it's it's obviously it's a product where people are playing games against each other, and people will find a way to to bet on that stuff. So actually, on that sort of note, um, before we actually get into the sort of real changes in in esports over the years, how how did you get started in the first place? Uh, I mean, that's we're going back quite a while. So um, I first started with gaming, um, you know, when I was probably around two years old on Sega Mega Drive, the first original Game Boy, all of that stuff, Donkey Kong, oh, uh, you know, back love, in, love in the, the early 90s. 
Loved the Game Boy. Game yeah, Changer. The, the proper, the brick. The brick was Excellent. awesome. And I had it was, all the lights. It was great. I had the extra lights that go on it, the screens, everything. It was cool. Yeah, yeah. And then the Game Boy Color came out and the first Pokemon and all of that stuff. Just, it was all. So that got me, you know, the first PlayStation. All in the in the early '90s. That's that's what I initially kind of got exposed to. Loved that stuff and just kind of kept on gaming. Um, and then that took us to probably in the mid 2000s, uh, early to mid 2000s, when I was super excited about Halo Three coming out. Um, I, I just I loved Halo Two. It was a you know massive game in the industry. Xbox Live had had released with Halo Two, and so there was this whole kind of online ladder and competition and connection in a way that we hadn't really had before outside of PCs. And that system was still a little bit more complex. Um, and I was just I was like, there has to be some form of competition around this. Like I want to find out. Unfortunately, it wasn't in Europe or, and not in the UK particularly, but uh, Major League Gaming, MLG, was running Halo 2 and uh, events in the US. And they were one of the first big tournament organizers. And uh, yeah, I, I kind of found out about that, started watching that and just was hooked instantly. Halo 3 released, I followed that. And I just knew as I kind of started looking at the industry and started looking at gaming, even even back then when I was like, I guess I was what, like 14, 15, I was like, this is only going to get bigger. As, as we continue and other companies, I was like, and I knew I wanted to get into the industry. It was just a matter of when and how. Um, a lot of stuff was in Korea and in the US. Um, but I also recognized that like, hey, you know what, startup experience is going to be very valuable. Um, I don't want to go into production. It's more about, I always like business side of things. And so I, I tried to kind of develop my skill set there. Um, and that kind of led me to a few things in esports, smaller things. And eventually I found my way at Allied Esports. Um, they were about, you know, it was in their first year. Um, and I got an opportunity through a mutual friend, uh, got invited to actually host uh, as a like stage host a tournament because the guy they normally use dropped out and um, one of the guys actually was sick so it was for League of Legends and it was a game I'd been playing for five years I followed the esports scene from basically its incubation um, and I, I really knew the game um, and they only had one caster so that's a, a, what a commentator is in, in esports it's called a shout caster and it's it's tough to to commentate alone so I, I said to them like hey I know this game I can probably help out uh, they thought, fine, we'll give you 10 minutes and then pull you off. Um, but, you know, I did pretty good and they were pretty impressed. So they let me do that all weekend. They invited me back next weekend. And, uh, you know, I, I said to them, I want to work for you. And they said, great, we want you to work for us. And the rest is kind of history. So for, for the uninitiated um, or, or people that aren't as familiar with, with games like League of Legends, um, just just give us a brief you know, synopsis, if you like, of, of what commentating on a game like that is like in comparison to commentating on a live sport. Uh, are you calling what is actually happening or are you telling the audience what you think is going to happen or is it about the strategy? What, what's the general vibe when you're commentating on such a, an in-depth game? Yeah, it's a great question. So normally what we actually do is uh, there's two types of casters. One is a play-by-play um, -play caster which does what you know it says on the tin they basically commentate what is happening they'll uh commentate the, the fights and the action bits so that the people can follow along and then the other one is a color caster um, and the color caster is there to add color to the picture basically to yeah. add analysis to talk to fill in the bits that maybe you know when things slow down a little bit they try to keep things entertaining they bring stats to the table um, and so normally it's a combination of those two. Um, and, and that's how esports traditionally is, is run. Um, it obviously does vary game by game. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting because I've been to a number of esports events now and actually been at some which you've been at. Um, and the casting and, and the commentating is, is a real feature. Uh, especially the, the I've observed anyway at the at the live shows the 
the guy or girl on stage that are that are doing the commentating slash casting it, it really does help pull the crowd in in fact it in a, in a way that I, it gets actually harps back to to the way sport used to be um you know you've got a crowd there they come to see a show but it's actually someone else is helping to, to actually get them even more involved and um i think it's actually one of the facets of esports that that sets it apart as an entertainment product and uh, i think it works pretty well um how do the fans tend to respond are you a are you a kind of a really enthusiastic caster do you do you kind of go getting crazy with it or are you kind of more methodical and more more thoughtful no i i'm i'm definitely more methodical i uh I'm not the type of, you know, just my personality type. I'm not uh, overly loud and, and that type of uh, expressive individual. So I tend to do much more of the color casting, which is a lot more about chatting, uh, analysis, kind of explaining things. And that's, a, you know, uh, the nerd at heart of, that I enjoy doing. Uh, yeah. I love theory crafting is what we call it. So kind of try to figure out things and explaining it. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's, you know, it is so important in a way you know, a good caster can make a bad game entertaining. Right. Um, whereas, and sometimes a, a good game can still kind of be a bit dull if it's slow paced and so on. So I think with, with esports, it's sometimes uh, even more important than kind of what's happening on screen, like just because it brings that life to, to what's happening. I think it's, um, it's also fascinating because you know the audience, and I think this is probably uh, this is a bit of an assumption, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put it out there that I think the esports audience is more well informed about the thing they're watching than a general sports audience. I mean, you you can go to a football match, and the the ten guys or girls sitting next to you will all have a different opinion, and they'll all know more or less about certain aspects of of the teams they're watching of the form. Whereas I feel like an esports audience is, you know, is not only are they ultra engaged, they are ultra knowledgeable. So the onus, therefore, on the caster and the commentator, I mean, you're not talking to an audience of dummies, right? I mean, they're, they're into this stuff so much that they're going to know almost as much as you, I'm guessing. Uh, I, I would say they're ultra opinionated. I don't know if I'd say they're ultra knowledgeable. <laughs> um, it, esports definitely has a lot of people who think that they know uh, a lot, uh, but I, I would, you know, I, look, I, my casting and, and hosting is something I do as part of my role. It's not the main aspect of my role. I, I, I do a lot more business. Um, so there are a lot of people that know a lot more and uh, full time uh, better than me. I think that there are a few players that can discuss uh, at that level, but absolutely, I think the thing to, to watch esports, most people have played the game and stuff because playing the game is competitive um you you do have uh opinions and thoughts on you know how everything is run how what champions they choose how they're playing the decisions they're making and then obviously that's influenced by the commentators um so yeah it is they're, they're definitely they have no issue with expressing their opinions um sometimes you know not for the best but it's it's just a matter of like the these fans are, are passionate. It's and it's not easy, especially when we're talking about games like League of Legends or Dota and stuff like that, which are fairly obtuse. There's a lot going on, so you need to have an understanding. Whereas with football, you don't have to have played it to understand what the objective is. So that right. barrier to entry, I think, uh, sometimes is something that helps. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So since you have been in the game, no pun intended. Um, what are the biggest changes in the industry really since you first started to now? I mean, apart from just, you know, hyper growth, um, how, how things changed since you, you, you first got into it? I mean, it's just become, I mean, there's a lot of things that have happened. So, you know, when I first looked at the industry, it was majorly gaming. They were getting set up and they were, you know, as, as big as their events where they were a small company and, They've talked about that recently, the, the founders. They've talked about how uh, they were, you know, the founders themselves were setting things up and, and so on. And that still kind of happens. But there's a lot more visibility. Um, I think things like Ninja getting involved, Fortnite has been huge at bringing that uh, attention to the industry, the amount of investment, particularly in North America. 
uh, has changed a lot of things. I also think that with, uh, with that, or maybe the precursor to that, has been the things have just become a lot more professional. This has grown from a passionate hobby industry. Um, and it's, as it's become bigger and bigger and people have recognized outside of the industry the opportunity, they've come in and they expect a certain level. Um, and as a result, that's, that's where we've kind of grown and started growing towards. And I think that will only continue. Yeah, and it's interesting you bring up Ninja and, you know, I, the sort of going back to the football uh, thing, I mean, there's an awful lot of premiership footballers playing Fortnite and, and other games and streaming. Uh, I mean, I support Spurs, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, Harry Kane, Delhi, Ali, uh, I think are always streaming um, they play amongst themselves, they play with other people, and the whole general profile of these games. I mean, if you, you, you were talking about Halo and those, you know, games of the, the 90s, if, I mean, the, the, the game for me that really, really got me big into games when I was a kid was probably Street Fighter 2 on the Super Nintendo. That, that was the first that I can remember, that was the first sort of blockbuster game that was up there with movies in terms of like its launch and the noise it made and the potential because it came straight from the arcade you could only play it in the arcade before and all of a sudden you could play in your bedroom um but i can only imagine if if back then they had the same sort of celebrity endorsement um that they do now how how big these things would be how how important is that kind of celebrity for the industry as a whole i mean does it help I mean, people were playing Fortnite anyway, but does it just drag that many more people into play? Um, I think it, it, it depends on... Yes, it does. Like everything, you know, it's a marketing tool. So having influencers and... Uh, yeah, having influencers and that marketing platform and how we use um, that can, the, the following connection that they have with fans is definitely going to drive people to a game. But at the same time, we've seen it where they've paid a lot of money to someone to play the game. People have downloaded it. And then the second the guy's no longer playing it, it it's no longer successful. Um, so, you know, your game has to, to be solid enough or your product has to be solid enough um, to, to be able to hold the attention of the audience and no influencer is, is going to surmount that. Um, do I, but at the same time, games will be very successful without influencers. Um, so it, it's a kind of a, you know, they go hand in hand. There's an amplification there, but your product definitely has to be strong enough to be able to stand out and stand on its own two feet when you're no longer play, paying people to play. Because if it's yeah. good enough, those people will continue playing without you paying them. Yeah, and it's interesting that you, you talk about, you know, the, how good the product is. And you think of some games ugh, that have come and gone. I can think of games that were massive when they launched, like L.A. Noir and, and things like that that were really going to change the mold. But the, the real, the sort of the ones with the great longevity, you know, the GTAs of this world, I mean, GTA 5, as I'm just talking about games at home now rather than competitive you know, gaming or esports, but GTA 5 has been out for a long time, man, and people are still like playing it, and it still stands up, right? I mean, it's still immersive. It's, there's always something to find in it. And you're right. I mean, you, no amount of celebrity endorsement can take away from a, 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 an unbelievably well-built product, right? Oh, absolutely. And like, I think GTA 5 is, is a great example. Like The tail end of that has been... It is a money-making machine for Rockstar. They have done so incredibly well. And I have no doubt that they, you know, that has kind of maybe delayed the release of a sequel because so long as people are still playing that online component of it, it why would they stop? Um, so, so absolutely. I think, but then it depends also on your, your game. There's going to be titles that are narrative experiences like God of War, which I, you know, in my opinion is probably the best game of this generation of consoles. That is a single player narrative. Once you're done with it, maybe you, you'll go back and replay it occasionally, but it, it's not something that you continually play. Whereas an online uh, multiplayer game, 
that's something that you want people to kind of be hooked on and that you're and that will continually uh, go back to it even if they take small breaks yeah and i think that's probably you know in my limited experience in this field the online element of the games has been the, the you know the biggest game changer as it were i remember you know as a kid playing goldeneye which at the time was just just the coolest game because four of you could play on one tv and you know split screen and all the rest of it and actually i'd like to give that game a go now and see how good it is you yeah. know in comparison to modern first person shooters but it's great it's classic it's excellent i like it, it holds up without a doubt because really because <laughs> at its core yeah but the, the you know because what we're talking about is at its core it is just a and this is actually i think it's a perfect example for my point earlier it's got such strong fundamentals and the fun of it is about the playing it's the playing with your friends so that doesn't that doesn't go away like if you got together with your friends have a couple of beers and you start playing goldeneye that nostalgia the fun the competition that's that's what's great and ultimately that's actually kind of the heart of what esports is um and you you nailed it like whether we're playing fortnite or something else quite often it starts with playing with and against your friends and that's what you want to to do you want to beat them you want to be better than them you want to play with them and have moments of success of playing online against other people and so on yeah and it's it's cool that yeah you know it just brings back some memories of playing those sort of games and actually i know it's 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 the same now except people are on different sides of the world playing right so you know my friends would come over when i was younger we would play goldeneye rolling back even further it was street fighter 2 and other games and you know that's that's what we do and i guess now people are doing it the same except they've just got their headset on and playing much more in depth and advanced games uh interesting you mentioned god of war 2 i as in god of war 2 as in as well not number two um, <laughs> i during lockdown you know i did dust off my ps4 and it did need dusting off uh i got red dead 2 for christmas so i kind of got into that and it's great fun and again so immersive that you know you can spend hours just doing nothing almost um but you think that God of War is the best? I mean, we're just diver, going completely off track from esports for a minute. But you think God of War is the best game of the generation? What what makes you come to that conclusion? Um, I so I just think that it's on so many levels. Um, you know, first of all, they created a. Uh, there's a whole series of how the making of the game on YouTube. It's definitely worth looking up I, I can't remember the name of it but you, you can find it pretty easily but one of the things is, is it's a single take camera shot um obviously this is done digitally and they're using some tricks in it but just the concept you know it's something that's celebrated in films of a single continuous take yeah doing that in a game is another level especially when we're talking about how they had to and they go into detail in the documentary of like how they're trying to communicate the story and how important the camera is to that. And the fact that it's single take added this whole layer of challenges, but also allowed them to express uh, and involve the express emotions and involve the viewer on another level. Um, I think that's just that from a technical feat, incredible. The, the combat is so satisfying again a technical point of view they made it so that the axe sticks a little bit as you hit people so there's a weight to every swing which i loved and then i'm a massive sucker for stories like i love um i love reading i love cinematic sprawling stories especially where you know it's a, about the shades of gray and kratos the main character of god of war is uh, is is not a pleasant person in the previous games, and now he has a son, and he's trying to be a better father. Um, and this is coloured by the creator Corey uh, Balogs. Um, he has a son, and it, it's his challenges. And I just thought that was such a great story of this person who is not a good or a nice person per se, in classical sense, and who arguably is not a good father, but who is doing his best to be a good father and to certainly be a better father. 
and I thought that was beautifully told, you know, the way he's trying to avoid mistakes of his past, the people who are standing against him, uh, all, all of it, and, and the, the culmination of it, and just the way uh, at the end of it, it's, it, it, I think it reflects life in that it's, it's complicated. And yeah, I, like, I like that. That's cool, and I'm I'm with you. I like the story, the story aspect of um, of those sort of games as well. I mean, actually, you know, going back to GTA, that one of the great things about GTA Five was was having three very different characters, but each having their own story. And you know, in theory, you know, you're playing three games in one because they they've got the the, the missions where they all come together. Then they've got their their own missions. Uh, you can go off and do whatever you want with, you know, crazy Trevor and all the rest. And uh, yeah. how, you know, I, this is where I think and why I think games have overtaken films in terms of of uh, size, you know, in terms of the industry size, is that I don't believe, and this is just my opinion, I don't believe that that many films change the game, as it were, that often. But I think that every two or three years video games go to another level especially with this storytelling and you know i remember when like films like terminator 2 changed the way filming was done at the time because of the special effects and all of that avatar did the same then there was 3d films for a little bit which seemed to be completely dead but you know when's the next thing what's the next thing that's really happening and you have to go back to the stories and you know, the fact that in film we have to regurgitate comic book stories over and over again just shows that people, I think, people like the story aspect. I mean, I know that FIFA and all that is super popular and, you know, millions of people download and buy FIFA, but that's really like, as you said earlier, that's a game against your friends. It's competitive. I, if I'm playing at home, if I get an afternoon off and I've got like two or three hours to really get into something, you know, it's highly likely that I'd get into a story-led game then, then go and find a film now and yeah I, I i don't i don't disagree with that i think the thing is though is that gaming as a medium is still so new and young comparatively especially to film so i think that the things like god of war what what i love about it is that it is a mature story it's it's a complex one um and it's it's we definitely have had those types of games before you know you look at metal gear solid um, but I think yeah. the industry is getting more understanding and accepting of uh, these sorts of things. Uh, and I'm willing to tell these stories and know that there's an audience for it as opposed to previously where, you know, maybe it was viewed as just as something for kids. Um, yeah. So with that in mind, I think it's, that's possibly why we're seeing these big jumps. Uh, whereas, I mean, I think that there's a huge difference in films between 90s, 2000s and uh, you know, 2010s, but it's it's definitely at a slower pace. But it's I wonder if it's probably because of just the the, the amount of time that they've been uh, around for. Yeah, look, I mean, I I remember playing some of the early Assassin's Creed games and finding it. I, I liked them. As I liked the one that was set in in Rome. I think that was I can't remember yep. what number. But number two, number yep. two, right? Great one. I did learn a bit of stuff, you know, when he's collecting his paintings and all this stuff, like, and you go around these buildings, like you're learning something, right? So you, you made that thing about, oh, you know, games aren't just for kids. Absolutely. And, um, you know, that, that sort of game brought another level of detail in which, again, I never would have thought of. And I think that it's these extra bits that, that keep coming. And, you know, I, I can't even imagine what games are going to look like in five or six years if, if they if they keep developing at the pace they are. And you know, I wanted to to throw that question at you actually. Of you know, what do you think is the next big thing, whether it's in esports or gaming in general? I mean, is it something like Stadia becoming a kind of standard platform for all games? Will we still have consoles, et cetera, et cetera? What what do you think is coming next? So just a little tidbit for you about Assassin's Creed since you brought that up. Yeah. Their modeling and work around cities um, is so detailed that uh, Notre Dame is using Ubisoft's renderings of the building that they used uh, for the games um, to cool. actually help rebuild. 
yeah it's it's super cool so how the fuck do they do this stuff like it's <laughs> extraordinary like the amount they of model time. it down to like a couple of centimeters and inches because you're climbing it and so the climbing is so you know uh core to the game that they need to they really put so much detail and that stuff is just so cool and often quite easily overlooked uh, but yeah i just thought that was a it's a cool little uh you know that's very cool yeah like um, where do I think Gabe's Stadia is, uh, I would say, a complete and utter failure at the moment, um, partially because of I, Google's communications. It seems to be all over the place. I don't really understand. It came out. There's no real games on the platform or their old titles. It's delivering okay. Uh, you know, you, you can do it, but it's nothing exciting. Conceptually, I think it is very cool. And we'll get there at a certain point but we need much more stable internet and much more consistent internet across across the board um i don't think consoles or pcs are going anywhere i think that will continue to be the way forward um people talk about oh well you know pcs are superior sure if you want to say that but they also need to be upgraded regularly and they cost like a grand and a half to two grand if you want like that the high end or two and a half if you want a high end uh gaming pc um whereas the console is you know a couple of hundred to, to three four hundred on release and they last a, a long time you know uh seven to ten years i would say they're lasting at the moment so they're just efficient and they're good i think we're just going to see one of the biggest leaps is actually the ability to um, put your console to sleep and keep the game paused at where it was, um, which suddenly opens things up because it's not so much of a time commitment. You know, back in the day, we had to get a save point or you have to save that. You have to come back and it's a whole loading and there's all of this. Whereas now I boot up my console, which is already, it's just kept in sleep mode. So it updates automatically and so on. Flip on the TV, I can jump on play five to 10 minutes and then put it back to sleep and it'll keep my position there. And I think that's something that is overlooked, but makes it so much easier to just kind of throw on and off. Yeah. Um, then we're just going to get lighting. It's going to be a big thing for the next gen. They're already talking about it, uh, of how things are reflected. That's the next step of kind of graphics. Um, but I just think narratively, that's we're going to continue evolving and we're going to continue the way stories are told, whether that's the art, the narrative, the writing, all of it is just going to, to continue to develop and uh, we're going to get some great things. Yeah, there's some pretty impressive stuff lined up for the PS5. I've been watching a lot of the kind of pre-release videos and uh some of the detail it, it's mind-boggling actually it really is like to get your head around especially the lighting stuff looking at how they yeah. use like the billions of little triangles and then there's billions of triangles within that triangle and it's just you know the reflective surfaces uh, it's it's really it's really like super super rocket science smart stuff and i i, I find it really really impressive um and if people like me find it impressive who work in mainstream sport, uh, then the other sort of people that find it impressive, and it not just because of the way the games work, because of the audience and the level of engagement are brands and other commercial entities, which I guess is the side of esports and gaming that you're, you know, in most of the time. How do you find the kind of larger or, or wannabe large commercial brands are looking at esports at the moment is it still purely to market to this big audience or are they finding other hooks in there now as well i think i think it is still a marketing point of view and that's how, how they're looking at it and it's actually been one of the limitations of, of their way of looking at the space because i, I don't i think Often what happens is they look at the numbers available in esports and, and what esports events are drawing in and they go, well, a football match or something else is, is attracting more. And we're not, you know, it's, it's that kind of paper click or paper CPMs. And, and uh, those are obviously important metrics, but I think the marketing advertising world has kind of seen an evolution of that where people are realizing that advertising, just throwing banner ads up and clicks does not necessarily 
mean brand engagement and a successful ad campaign, despite what the people selling it are trying to communicate. Um, and I think social media and Facebook are, are very guilty of that. Yeah. Esports is a, it's cool. It's cool at the moment. It's only going to get cooler. And that's some brands are catching on to that. Red Bull has been an adopter since, you know, late 2000s. Um, and they, you know, they understand that, hey, we can create some really good content here and engage with this audience in a completely different way. And the current audience is not an audience you're engaging with elsewhere. So as esports expands, yeah, we'll, we'll get more and more people and it's expanding at a crazy rate and you'll have a lot more mainstream individuals. But the reality is, is that the people, the hundreds of thousands, the millions of people who are watching these games and titles, you are not successfully reaching them via Love Island ads. That's just not happening. Date, sticking it in the Daily Mail or in uh, on Facebook ads is not, that's not how you reach that audience. This is a segment that you're not tapping into. And so the opportunity here is to reach this audience in a super cool way to create some content which you can't create elsewhere, often at pretty good pricing um, and allows your brand story to be told in a, in a way that isn't done in mainstream sports and traditional sports. And I think that's something that's overlooked uh, and people are starting to recognize and they're starting to engage more and more. And I think that will just continue to happen. Yeah. And as that audience matures, then you're, you're going to find the variety and the number of brands getting involved will grow. Um, you know, as you said at the moment, you know, in the grand scheme of things, we're probably still in the infancy just before teenage stage. Uh, of how big this thing's going to get overall, but once once it fully matures um, and the audience grows up with it, you know, one day it, it'll be perfectly normal for fifty and sixty year olds to have grown up with this stuff. In which case, it becomes yes. mainstream. And um, exactly. And, and I, I think that understanding that, I mean, we're we're in our thirties, and you know, I, we both play. I watch. I don't know how much, yeah, as much as possible, as responsibly as possible, I guess. But the thing there is that there's also, um, an, and, and developers are, are catching on to that, you know, like gambling and alcohol and stuff like that isn't necessarily at that point, it's slowly entering the space. But there's also a mature audience. Our arenas, we get a lot of, um, you know, we had pushback on getting an alcohol license and we had to show them six months worth of data that actually, for example, in the US, our average visitor is over 21. Um, I don't know the exact number, but there is, and I said this earlier, there, there are games and there's an audience and there's obviously kids and that's completely fine and cool, but there's also an adult audience. And I think that's something that isn't necessarily being catered to yet. Yeah, I think that's, that's spot on. I just, look, for me, it's, it's, it's still a learning thing that I'm, you know, I'm picking up more and more each day um but the hard the hard thing i think for people of not my generation because that's not really a valid point it's more people of my ilk is is how is that we have our memories of certain types of games so there's ones that we naturally relate to like we can all relate a little bit to call of duty and, and games like that just because they're familiar if you've never played something like league of legends i mean frankly it's extremely confusing you've never played it because you, you don't know but Going back to what you said about the audience segments, that's why it's, it's so interesting for, for brands because you can focus, you know, almost surgically focus on a specific segment that, you know, other sports really try to, mainstream sport tries to do, but struggles with. And um, I don't know, look, it's, it's just the whole thing is, is fascinating. What you mentioned- Just to jump in, just to add, sorry to add, is that I think it's often we clump esports uh, you know well i would just look at traditional sports and i say yeah football easy to access to everyone american football not so easy to follow and understand unless you know what's what's going on right and and then when we're talking about the scale and this is something else not everything needs to be football you know surfing 
is doesn't have the following uh, pro surfing doesn't have the following that the, the Champions League does. That doesn't mean it's not a successful, successful, viable product, and that brands uh, and individuals haven't figured out how to make it viable. Um, and I think esports is something we use as a kind of catch-all term. But then when we're looking at individual titles, you know, not everything has to be Champions League. You can you can do incredibly well by being uh, the pro skating or the pro surfing league of the world. And yeah, brands that's again, that's something like, hey, what you know. What would you do to be the Vans of esports, as Vans is to skating? Like, yeah. it's huge. You know what I mean? Like, and that yeah. was a skating product, or the Vulcan, or the you know all of these these brands that have done so so well, Oakley and so on. And they've expanded, but why why couldn't all of these not not be done in esports and figure out like how do we how do we make it happen there and make it sustainable? Oh yeah, but there's no doubt, and I, it's it's interesting. I I've had a few people approach me recently to talk about various products that that do sort of come off the back of esports, whether it's game cases, you know, uh, console cases and mm-hmm. carry cases, all this sort of thing, um, you know, controllers, blah 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 blah. Uh, the, the, yeah, that that secondary industry or the secondary market is is going to be even even bigger, I think, than than anyone thought. You mentioned, uh, you know, things like alcohol brands and all of that. Is there, I, I, we, we actually, I saw, saw you at an event where uh, Mountain Dew was the, was the main sponsor. Are there any concerns in the esports world about which sort of brands come in and what they're promoting? I mean, Mountain Dew is promoting a sugar-free drink, for example, which is very smart and, you know, allays any concerns people might have about kids sitting around drinking too much sugar but you know when it comes to alcohol do the people's eyebrows start to get raised a bit massively and it's a it's a real issue i think and it's a limitation that we need to overcome a lot of developers are very wary of allowing alcohol and gambling uh, and even to the point of like non-alcoholic beverages owned by uh, alcoholic companies um are not allowed and it, it seems short-sighted to me because whilst I appreciate that games are uh, enjoyed by people of all ages, there is nothing wrong with going to a football match with your son and buying a beer and seeing Heineken all over the place. Um, and if, if something like that of that scale uh, can be done, then why can't it be done for gaming? Your kid will play at school. He'll maybe go and play as part of a weekend league. You, uh, as a father or mother, might play as part of a five-a-side and you like to support a team and you all go watch the matches and you watch it on TV and your child will be exposed to drinking. But it's drink responsibly and we understand that, hey, that's okay. It's, it's part of our life. It's part of our world. Um, and there are certain guidelines to how that is exp- done. Um, but it, it seems like gaming, and part of this is not just the developers, it's also governments and legal. They, they seem to not be able to, to make that jump just yet. Uh, I think it's just a matter of time. I mean, you're right. It's a bit short-sighted or, or narrow-minded to sort of just think, well, our core audience is probably under 18 or whatever, so we couldn't possibly... Because as we just mentioned, I mean, this, this audience also matures and grows and, and has a life outside of the game too. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm, it's it's obviously a difficult one, um, and and we're in a day and age where brands and and corporate entities have to think reputation first, <laughs> and um, probably sometimes to the detriment of of, of their product. But um, we actually last time we spoke, uh, talking of alcohol, I think last time we spoke we had a beer. Um, you do get to, I mean, you yourself, you do get to do a fair bit of travel as part of your role and you go to various tournaments and exhibitions and conventions. Um, where's the best esports convention slash party slash tournament? Where's the action at? Ooh, okay. So, I mean, uh, I, mean, I would say that Gamescom... In Vegas. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, Gamescom or E3, I would say, I definitely have. Uh, I think the best is it has to be the epic party at E3 that I was at um, last last year. Yeah, it was last year. 
um feels like ages ago with everything that's been going on but uh it's in june it's in la at the la convention center and um you know i, I was at this party that epic games put on together obviously you had all the influencers so you had uh, lupo you had uh, ninja all of them milling about and so on so that that's obviously cool um you have epic games people but then they also had live acts and one of them was uh addison park and mm -hmm. uh you know it's maybe two three hundred people maybe 400 at max you know when am i when am i ever gonna see addison park play a whole set in such a small intimate venue and area um you just don't get that that and it, it it was great they had games going on little shows they had magicians and just fun little things going on around um and and then that sort of live music and event and uh it was it was great it was such a great party yeah it sounds cool and i quite like the uh you know i work in a in a in a mainstream sport that also has a fairly you know the the crowd that that goes along with it the administration side the marketing the commercial entity like it's a reasonably small scene so when we do have industry events it's quite fun because you know it's a bit like you're part of that sort of family i guess and um it yeah. sounds similar in esports like you're going to go let's say you're going to a convention in Cannes, you're going to see the same people you might have seen six months ago at another place and it's you know it's just fun i'm guessing yeah, and it is. It is. You you develop friends and you hang out with people, and and it's always it's kind of a nice way to catch up. And uh, often, especially with something like this, it's it's not just a. And I think it's probably similar to yourselves. It's it's not. It's not an industry you just do because you've fallen into it. It's normally because you are you're a fan of of either that sport or something about that industry, and you work to get into it. And I think that enthusiasm uh often comes across and then we're working and interacting with people who are similar to that and it just gives you uh that common ground that's always fun yeah look it sounds cool um we better wrap this up soon it's, it's super fascinating i could talk about this stuff all day and i think when we're out of lockdown we'll probably have a beer and, and talk about this stuff even more um talking of lockdown i guess you may have been playing a few more games during the lockdown period than you normally would do? Or uh, have you invested more time or money into anything? Um, I wouldn't, so I've been, I've been trying to hold back and be a bit responsible and uh, I've been quite busy with work actually, funny enough, I'm one of the, one of the people that has been, uh, obviously eSports has transitioned to online, so which we were on, so that picked up. Um, I was playing a lot of Warzone, I had a, we created a little group because um, we, I'm one of the few in our company that kind of has a console, so um, my friendship group. So we're a mixed bag of people who are on the PS4 and a bunch on PC. And the fact that you can play Warzone cross platform, um, it's super fun. It's easy to pick up. Um, so we had about, you know, eight of us and we were having lunchtime sessions and afternoon sessions. And that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, and so that's that's the main thing I think I've been playing. Um, that oh, also Final Fantasy remake, Final Fantasy VII remake. So that was a major, major game back in yeah. the nineties. It was revolutionary. They just released the first part of the remake. It was a game that had a huge impact on me, and I have a lot of memories playing it as a I think it was about eight or nine. Um, and so look, playing it now brings back, and they've really captured that that emotion. Uh, and it's been super cool kind of playing that as well. Uh, I'd say those are the two two main games that I've been playing and then going back a little bit into God of War, actually. Yeah, um, this has got me in the mood. I think tonight I'm going to kick everyone out of the, the living room and uh, play Red Dead 2 because I still haven't... I mean, I'm like 20% away through the game. I feel like I've been playing it for hours and hours and it's just so massive that... I don't know. I mean, that's the, it's not off-putting, but I would say that sometimes before I purchase a game, I do think, right, how much do I have to invest in this, you know, mentally? Because, yeah, I mean, it's it can be a bit of a thing, actually. Like, when I was a kid, like, it used to be like the thing, you come into school on a Monday and say, I completed this game. I, I don't know if that's even possible, really. 
I mean, I'm sure it is. To, to I speak. just don't have the time. I'm with you. So it, it's terrible. Like, what happened? But between, you know, relationships, friends, work, trying to maintain some semblance of health, it's, I don't have the time and I'm with you. It's kind of, I like to split my games up. So big games like Red Dead, I try to say for uh, Christmas or holiday season or something like that. Yeah. Um, so that I can, I can disconnect and just try and uh, to, to enjoy that experience or journey. Or, you know, I'll just, I know for two weeks in the evenings, hey, this is what I'm going to be doing. Otherwise, that's what's fun about something like uh, Modern Warfare and Warzone and stuff like that. You know, you can hop on, hop on, play a couple of games and then switch it off and that's it, done. Yeah, and that's, that's 100%. That's exactly how, if I ever play Modern Warfare, that's exactly what I do do. I don't spend hours on it personally. I know many do. Um, but I can get my fix and come back out. Whereas I know when I'm switching on Red Dead, like it's, you know, there's no point disturbing me because we've got at least two or three hours to get anything done. Yeah. Anyway, on that note, I'm going to go play. We have to ask you the question that we ask all of our guests, um, which is what's your favorite type of dog? What's my favorite type? Uh, can I give two? You can give two. Uh, Rhodesian Ridgeback. Um, oh, wow. That's a big, that's a big boy dog. Uh, it is a big boy dog. Uh, I, I, they're really, they're beautiful dogs. Uh, very smart. And uh, originally, they were used to hunt lions. Actually, in uh, yeah, I heard that. Yeah, that's pretty. Um, that's pretty intense. No, yeah, but they're very, they're very, they're really, they're very graceful and just very nice dogs to to interact with. Um, and then uh, the other one is a border terrier. Oh really? That's two yeah. different dogs. Well, we own a border terrier, so we have a, a little border terrier called Troy. Uh, love nice. him, and it, it's just it, they're such a again a really nice breed. It's a very good size for London and city living, um, and you know I, I enjoy they're very expressive and involved. I enjoy that if I want I, I like pets that kind of have a character, and they typically do. Um, Rhodesian Ridgeback uh, kind of goes back to my uncle had one in Zimbabwe and uh, she was just a, a lovely dog and whenever i see them i always think they're such nice big dogs um but uh not not the most convenient for somewhere like london <laughs> okay well that's um that's two very interesting choices and um i'm sure the psychoanalysts will be getting into that now um all right mate look thanks very much for uh, joining us that's been it's been fascinating stuff i think what we'll do is maybe catch up again at the end of the year and, and, and do a rundown of, of how 2020 did pan out because I think esports has, I wouldn't say benefited, that's the wrong word, but it's certainly uh, taken some opportunities during this time we've all been at home. So it'd be interesting to see how things pan out as uh, fingers crossed normality comes back into view. Um, yeah. Thanks very much. So much. Definitely love to come back. If anyone has any questions, uh, you know, ping them to you and you can pass them on to me. Happy yeah, to what we'll do, actually, it's a good idea. Um, I'll stick up your social media or something on in the show notes. Uh, I'll also link out to Allied so people can, can get to know what you and the guys do a bit more. And yeah, any questions, uh, they can either go straight to you or come through us. But um, on that note, we will see you. Uh, next time, dear listeners, uh, thanks very much to Nikita and uh, hope you enjoy the rest of your week. <laughs>